Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to come to you today and to welcome into our studio again, all the way from Lusaka, Africa, Zambia in Africa, uh, Dr. Vody Balkum. Vody, welcome to the Sword and the Trial, man. It's good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back, man. So how is life going for you there in Lusaka? Yeah, it's, it's going, you know, <laughs> um, some days, some days we're the windshield and some days we're the bug, but I mean, it's going, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, we're grateful for what you're doing over there, uh, heading up the African Christian University and getting things in place. I know you've got personnel, some challenges. It seems like God's helping you with that moving forward. And we're excited. Uh, just looking forward to hearing more good reports coming out of Lusaka. The last time you were here, we talked a little bit about some of the things going on in the SBC. Of course, uh, you will be nominated to be the president of the SBC Pastors Conference in Anaheim coming up in just a few days. I'll be nominated to uh, for the presidency of the SBC at that same uh, gathering. And those are events that will happen on the 12th and 13th of June out in Anaheim, California. So any Southern Baptist, or if you know Southern Baptists, I uh, encourage you to go out there and vote. And let's, uh, let's try to uh, do what we can to make the convention healthier. But in the midst of that conversation, we talked about is some of the things that are going on with the sex abuse task force reports. I think Guidepost maybe had just dropped the report the last time we talked, so neither one of us had, had time to read over it. I've since had time to read it. And Graham, I don't know if you've read all the way through it bits yet. And pieces. Yeah, little bits of it. And Bodie, you probably haven't even seen it yeah, yet. Yeah, bits and pieces. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's, it's still a lot to digest, especially the, the appendices, which have proposals or recommendations. And my understanding is that guidepost was an outside entity. And so they were contracted by the task force. The task force is uh, comprised of Southern Baptists that were appointed by the SBC president, uh, Ed Litton. And that task force, my understanding, is going to come out with their own proposals uh, sometime soon. And I'm sure by the time this gets out, that will have already happened. And I don't know what is going to be in there. Obviously, I haven't seen that. But before we even look at suggestions or proposals, we, there's a lot of uh, biblical foundational things that we ought to talk about. Buddy, you and I have talked through this, and you've written about this, I've written about this, and uh, over many years we've had good conversations about it and tried to promote these ideas of uh, jurisdictional authority or spheres yeah. of authority. Graham, we've hit that before in talking through mm-hmm. this podcast, especially back during the year of COVID or was it year or decades, yes. centuries? I can't recall how long it's been. <laughs> the, it's, an, it's an era. The yeah, era. the era, COVID, era of yes. COVID. That's right. Yes. BC, <laughs> before COVID and whatever. I don't know what it'll be afterwards. But um, there, all that came to the fore, and you, you saw how poorly evangelicals were thinking or maybe had never thought yes. about these things. So, uh, man, lay into that. I mean, just uh, help us to think about all of these different jurisdictional authorities. Yeah, and I think this is uh, this is another side of the coin, in terms of the the COVID issue. You know, we, God gave us three distinct spheres of of jurisdictional authority: the family and the church and the state. And you know, the state wields the sword, mm-hmm. and the family uh, <laughs> bears the rod, and the church. Uh, holds the keys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of these different symbols of authority in these different jurisdictions. And with COVID, what we were 
looking at or what we were seeing is the state usurping the church's jurisdiction, telling the church when and if it could meet. Right? That was a usurpation uh, by the state. And I think one of the things that we've been dealing with here in terms of these issues of abuse, one of the problems that we've seen is that the church has been, in many instances, usurping the state's jurisdiction. Mm. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, in this report, you see that a lot of churches had crimes reported to them, mm-hmm. and the crimes are also sins, mm-hmm. but 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 they treated the 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 crimes as sins, and did not go to the proper jurisdictional authority. Right. The proper jurisdictional authority for crime is the magistrate, right? Um, as, as pastors, as elders. We do not wield the authority of the state. And so when somebody comes to us with something that is a crime, we go to the proper jurisdiction for that to be dealt with. Now, in in many instances, there'll be both, right? In many instances, it's a crime and a sin. Not all crimes are sins, not all sins are crimes. But in the things we're talking about in this report, we're talking about sins that are also crimes. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, the church has that duty and responsibility um, the, the, the disciplinary responsibility, and that has to be upheld. But on the other hand, the church has to um, to 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 submit to the jurisdictional, uh, the proper jurisdictional authority of the state, and report crimes as crimes. Yeah, so I, I think you're exactly right there. I, I think what sometimes may happen and probably did happen based on the the anecdotes that are embedded in the report, other things that have been made public over the last few years, is that some leaders, let me just kind of draw up a generic uh, scenario. I think this probably typifies what happens in some cases, is somebody comes to uh, a church leader or a Christian leader in some organization or institution and says, I was sexually assaulted. And that Christian leader with compassion, wanting to help. So let, you know, tell me about this. Let's get this straight. And looking to the scripture, thinking, how do we deal with this biblically and believing that the Bible is sufficient? The Bible is inerrant. Doesn't think clearly enough about what you just said about jurisdictional authority and begins to try to sort out, okay, how can we handle this? We need to get these people together. We need to sort it out without immediately thinking, wait a minute, we're not talking about just a sin here. We're talking about a crime here. And I wonder if maybe the, our commitment, some people's commitment to the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture didn't maybe bleed over into their thinking about the inerrancy of themselves or their interpreter to be able to handle all of this. We don't need any outside counsel or help. And just, wait a minute, no, this is not our lane. We have a lane, but it's not that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably yeah, it really did does. happen sometimes. It, 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 that that's the same thing. It's the same thing when your child comes to church, you know, and 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 gets out of hand uh, jurisdictionally. I need to come to you, right? Right. Because you're the jurisdictional authority there. I don't just take your kid into my office and spank them. Um, you know, and people have gotten in. People have had gotten into trouble with that. You in know? jail, that's um, know, man. You know, and, and in jail for things like that, right? Mm-hmm. That is another issue of jurisdictional authority, right? So I I don't bear the rod at church. Right? Yeah. So yeah. when 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 your kid when your kid needs the rod, I take your kid to you, yeah. right? Um, and that's 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 another instance as well. And so I think what happens is 
you know, some people do um, overestimate uh, their jurisdictional authority uh, and end, end up usurping um, both in terms of the family and in terms of the state. But it all comes back to having a robust theological understanding of jurisdictional authority. Yeah. The whole question of authority. And by the way, by the way, let me say this also, because a lot of people don't realize this, right? When it, when it relates to issues like this, number one, uh, before I went into the ministry, um, all I ever wanted to be was a lawyer, right? So as an undergraduate, my major was, you know, pre-law and international business, right? I just wanted to practice law. But then in terms of my work before I went into ministry, uh, I worked in social work. Um, I had a number of jobs uh, working in the social work field, um, you know, working with, uh, you know, kids who were you know, in various institutions, group homes and things like that, right? The other thing is my mother retired uh, a few years ago. She was a victim's advocate in the Bear County uh, court system in the San Antonio area. And so my mother uh, worked basically shepherding children specifically through the court system um, with issues of abuse and, and things like this. And, and then lastly, you know, we, a number of children that we have, uh, you know, came to our family through adoption. Uh, one of them uh, was a product of a rape and the other um, we, we found out was a product of incest. And we found out because we got a, a call from the adoption agency that said, hey, you know, the police are going to need you to come in so that they can do a DNA swab. Um, and anyway, long story short, we ended up, you know, smack dab in the middle of that whole, you know, uh, legal situation, um, you know, because of because of what had happened to our child's birth mother. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I've had situations where, you know, I've been part of church leadership that has had to deal with things like this, either directly or mm. indirectly. Mm. So when I talk about this, I'm not just talking theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and if you don't understand authority, if you don't at least have a biblical baseline that authority, all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He said that in the great commission. Yes. And so every other authority is delegated from Christ. You're going to get this completely wrong. Graham, I know, you know, we've had to deal with these kind of cases in our church and uh, just walk through before, what, what do you want to follow up to about specifics, but walk through, I mean, what, what would you do? What would the leadership of our church do? The pastors here, if somebody called, somebody came in and said, Hey, you know, I have been abused. I've been sexually abused by mm -hmm. this church member or this family member. What would be the, what would kick into motion? Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, there's the whole consideration. Is this accusation, credible accusation, but before we even get into determining whether that's the case or not, I mean, if there's a, if there's a case of abuse, the authorities do have to be notified. Mm -hmm. They have to be called. Um, and if there's any chance that a person is in a context in which abuse can continue, they need to be removed from that context. Mm -hmm. And we then allow the the authorities to do their job and investigate the matter. But then there's also some investigation that we have to do as well mm -hmm. as authorities within the church. Because it's a sin as well as a crime. Exactly, exactly. And so it depends on, you know, is the person coming to us, are they a member of our church? Is the person that is accused of abuse, are they a member of the church? Mm -hmm. And there has to really be due diligence on both sides mm -hmm. to ensure is this, is this accusation credible? Is this true? Um, 
because you know there can be dangers for both people. Yeah, um, that you know, and even saying that though, a lot of people get upset about that today because mm-hmm. we were told a few years ago if you really are going to care well for sex abuse victims, you must believe all women. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a mantra that was given to us. And what you're doing, you're not helping women. I mean, it's it's virtue Uh, signaling. No, 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 no. Believe all women, unless they're accusing Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Or Johnny Depp. You guys that don't live here, you see those things so much clearer than we do because it's just part of the cultural (laughs) air we breathe these days. (laughs) Well, it is true, though, that we we have had uh, even a case in our church in which there was uh, another member accused of abuse, and it wasn't true. That's right. It wasn't true. And we, and so we had to protect the one who was being accused. That's right. And so here's the deal. Anytime an accusation like that comes, you've got to make it a safe context for that person to speak freely and openly. So you don't just say, ah, well, you got to prove it. Come back when you have proof. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. You you very humbly, warmly try to to make sure is there danger here? If there's any hint of danger, remove the vulnerable vulnerable person from the danger, which again, we've done. We put Mm -hmm. them in home, other members' homes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, when that kind of serious accusation is made, you know you have a victim. Mm -hmm. There is a victim involved in this scenario now. It's either the one who's been accused or it's the one doing the accusing mm-hmm. or, or there could be other uh, elements involved. You just don't know. But he who answers a matter before he hears it fully is a fool, mm-hmm. Proverbs 18 says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one who comes forth first and presents his case seems right till another comes and questions him. So if we're going to be biblical, we've got to care for the person coming, you know, with mm-hmm. maybe traumatized and all kinds of things going on. Give every benefit of the doubt, do what you can, make sure they're safe. And then if it's a crime being reported, call the police. That's who God's ordained to mm-hmm. begin the process of wielding the sword that he's put in their hands. And you deal with the, uh, the possible sin or the sin that will be manifested in some place, some capacity in the context of the church. And there is a difference, and we really we need to continue to keep this in mind. There is a difference between someone who's been credibly accused and someone who's been convicted. That's right. right? Because if you've been credibly accused, that means that there's some plausibility to the story that you are an abuser, but it's not been proven beyond, right. beyond any reasonable doubt. Yeah, and I don't like that language. Incredibly accused, as uh, that's part of the language that we see floating around now, and it's almost like somebody has come up with a standard that says. If you don't have any ability to deny beyond a shadow of a doubt, or if this is something that's you know not falsifiable, uh, then you're boom, you know you're guilty until proven innocent. Well, that's mm-hmm. contrary to the Word of God, yeah. buddy. One of the things that alarms me too is I, I think there's a utopian spirit that is motivating some people who really do want to care well for sex abuse victims, and you know we ought to give them that because. Uh, Granted, there's so many stories where, especially women and children, just have not been uh, shepherded well, cared well, protected well. And even in the, when it's evident what's happened, they just haven't been loved and, and cared for the way the Bible says. And But I think that spirit causes some to say, well, if the Bible was enough, if the church was yeah. enough, these things would not happen. How many cases is too many? You know, mm-hmm. all of that. There's no avoiding sin in the world, sin in the church, right? No, so no, there's not. You know, you've lived through that. I mean, you know, you've seen that. Uh, and and the question isn't whether sin's going to happen in the church. The question is, what do we do about it? Mm-hmm. Tell tell us yeah. about uh, something that you've lived through with that. Well, I mean, there's a, a, a couple of things. One, uh, most recently, you know, our sending church recently went through um, a very high profile. Um, 
incident. Mm -hmm. it, it was an incident that didn't happen at the church. It happened uh, in in a family. It happened in a family of one of the leaders um, in in the church, uh, one of the elders in the church, and it, it was it was a devastating situation. Yeah. And I remember getting that call from um, the elders of the church when they were on their way back from I think the sheriff's office. You know, they they got the information and immediately went and reported. Um, and, and let me just say at the outset. These guys, this whole thing was handled in just a stellar fashion. Amen. And Amen. one of the things that I hope we do in the SBC as we highlight this issue is I, I hope we highlight places where it's been done well. Mm -hmm. um, and this was one of those instances. And so there was an immediate report that was that was made, um, an immediate removal of the person uh, from the from the home, you know, immediate mover. In this case, the offender, you know, immediately, you know, removed from the home um, before the police, you know, even got involved to do anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, the, uh, dis the discipline process was was started as well. In the, the church, the caring process, the caring process for the for the person mm -hmm. um, was also started as well. Um, and and the other thing that a lot of people don't know is that the church, um, in so many ways, um, went to bat for and shepherded shepherded uh, the the family and the victim. Um, for example, the, the news came out mm. and the news reported, number one, they reported the matter inaccurately. Yeah. They reported the matter as though the church wasn't the one to file the report, but somebody had to force that. Um, but secondly, they did it in such a way that they all but named the victim. Yeah. And so the elders are on the on the horn immediately re rebuking <laughs> the reporter for the way that they reported in all of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, by the time the police got involved, you know, they talked about, you know, how, how exemplary the, the response had already been. And then um, in this instance, the church. Um, you know, supported not only emotionally and spiritually, uh, but also financially, um, you know, this family, because, you know, they ended up losing their their, their breadwinner. Mm -hmm. um, but and then beyond that, you know, in Houston, there's, you know, one of these liberal, you know, George Soros backed DAs. And this thing almost got swept under the rug. Wow. And it was the church who actually held the DA's feet to the fire so that true justice mm -hmm. was carried out on behalf of the victim. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you, you don't hear, you don't hear all of that, right. you know, and, you know, I, I, I have not highlighted this um, for a number of reasons. You know, it's interesting. Some people even came after me, you know, for not, you know, you know, coming out and making statements and highlighting this or whatever. But number one, my first uh, priority was protecting the victim and this and, and this family that had been victimized, and me highlighting this uh, number one would not have helped them; it would have harmed them. Number two, um, it could have been problematic for the legal side of things, right. and number three, it would have just been, uh, you know, virtue signaling uh, on on my part. So you know, I'm far less concerned about whether people think you know I've I've responded enough. Uh, than I am about, you know, this victim, this family being cared for properly and the church 
um, responding um, in, in inappropriate ways, which in this instance, it absolutely did. Yeah. I remember getting a call too, uh, from those two elders and, uh, you know, they were heartbroken and they were determined to do what was right, thinking with them, praying with them and just listening to them, trying to you know be a sounding board for them. And it was, it's a model. It's a model. If we want to care well for these horrific types of situations, then, then we ought to go to school on that church and, and what they did. And I, the, the firestorm that uh, was created on social media when it became public, I mean, we had Southern Baptists. We, we had a professor at one of our seminaries that just, uh, she acted like, oh, you know, look at this. This is what happens when you're this kind of church. I mean, it was horrific. It was horrific. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, it was. Yeah. It was horrific. And it happened, it happened away from the church. I mean, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's still, it's, it's horrific. You know, these, these were, were members of, of the church. But it, like you said, seeing people victimized again mm-hmm. um, in, in settings like that, um, it, it was, it was infuriating. Yeah. You know, it, it was infuriating. It really was. One of the things I'm concerned about is that in uh, a lot of what's going on today in this report and things that have been uncovered and things that have been public for a while as attention's being focused upon the horrific reality of this type of sin and crime in the church, in Christian circles, and then the cover-up or not dealing properly with it is that we're listening to the wrong people, that we're following the counsel of the wrong people. And let me just give you an example of... Uh, uh, here's here's a statement from a Christian leader in which he was saying, uh, trying to make a case of, hey, we got to do something, we got to do something. He, he writes this. What I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm trying to say this as clearly as I can to you, brothers and sisters. There are tactics that have been used to create a culture where countless children have been torn to shreds, where women have been raped and then broken down. Now, if you're that Christian leader and you, you really believe this, what should what should you do? What would you do if if you truly see this happening? You ring the bells. Wow. You 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 reveal what's going what you're seeing, what's going on. And you call the you police. Don't, you don't talk about it anonymously. Like Children wow. being ripped to shreds, torn to shreds, women being raped. This is Russell Moore when he was head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Council, wrote this letter to his chairman of the Board of Trustees, David Prince, and they didn't do anything with it for 18 months until right before the Southern Baptist Convention last year when Mike Stone was running, it was released and somehow twisted and distorted into suggesting, well, Mike Stone's the problem. He's the one at fault here. And I think, you know, Tennessee is a, a manda- mandatory report state. I'm thinking if yeah. somebody knows of women being raped and children being torn to shreds, that person needs to report it. And if they didn't report it, why, are, why has nobody questioned him? on the 18 yeah, months yeah. why listen to a guy like yeah. that there's something wrong and, there. and and like you said in in many states that's a crime yeah um if, if you know about things like that that have happened and you didn't report them um that's a crime so yeah i i i, I hear you and that one that one continues to baffle me well and you know what it does for me Vody, is it makes me wonder uh, what is really going on here? 
Are we, are we genuinely, is everybody genuinely concerned to care well for those who have been sexually abused? I, I think most are. But I have to wonder, this is a pretty simple cut and dried situation. Why isn't a question asked of mm-hmm. Russ Moore? I don't think he showed up in the uh, guidepost investigation. And maybe he did and I just missed it. But this is a question Southern Baptists ought to want to have a- answered. Why was the head of our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission privy to information where a culture is created where women are being raped and children are being torn to shreds and he does nothing about it? I mean, that says something about yeah. our culture right there. Yeah, either either he's a coward and he didn't say anything about it or it's just a lie. Yeah, or yeah, some kind of virtue signaling or something. I don't know what it is. But I don't think we can let this stand if we're going to be people of truth and people who genuinely want to show the love and mercy of Jesus Christ to those who have been horrifically treated. So it comes back to the the Word of God. I mean, all of this comes back to how do we know there are these spheres of authority? How do we know we have different jurisdictions? Because this is God's world. Mm -hmm. God created the world, and he created families. He created churches. He created the state. And he gives to each one authority that is to be carried out, exercised under his provisions and authority and dictates. Part of the, one of the problems I see brewing is that when you start talking principally like this, about what, what the principles that the scriptures give us to deal with these issues, it's almost as if, well, you're, you're letting your principles get in, get in the way of caring well for, for victims. Yeah. Uh, because really, the Bible's not quite enough. You need to set up all these other different parameters and all these different uh, fences and, and, and care for victims in the way in which the experts have determined they need to be cared for or, or uh, the professionals have determined. And there's not much credence given to, okay, what does the Bible say about how yeah. to care for, for the oppressed? Yeah, that's right. And I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily an either or. Um, and I, I don't think any of us would say that you don't, you know, educate yourself, right. that you don't um, surround yourself with people who know about these, you know, kinds of situations. I think when we talk about the principles here, what we're doing is we're saying that it has to happen within a framework mm. and there has to be guiding principles. And the guiding principles cannot just be pragmatic, utilitarian, mm-hmm. emotional, knee-jerk reactions, right? Mm-hmm. You, we, we've got to think through these things. Otherwise, we end up creating more problems mm-hmm. in our efforts to solve these problems. Exactly. And, and the other reason that we, the other reason that we have to think through this uh, in this principled sort of way, is because, again, it, I think. In the not too distant future, there's going to be another issue as it relates to crimes versus sins, because in the not too distant future, you know, this whole issue of minor attracted persons, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what what happens when the age of consent is lowered significantly? What, What happens then, you know, when, you know, you've got the you know, radical LGBTQIA2S plus movement, um, you know, who usually lead the way, right? The gender Marxists usually lead the way in trying to lower the age of consent. And so now you've got the 50-year-old man and the 14-year-old boy, but the law mm-hmm. has said that that's okay, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and if you think, that that's a bridge too far. 
all I'll say is 50 years ago, people would have said the same thing about same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so we also need to, to think about this in those terms as well, right? What are we going to do when that jurisdiction um, starts to say that, you know, things that are now crimes are no longer crimes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think what we've done far too often in the church is, you know, we've sat on our hands, not thought through these things and just assumed that they wouldn't get that bad mm-hmm. um, when at the end of the day they, they have. So yeah. again, that's a, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, you know, a ball of wax right there. But these are the types of things that we need to be thinking through biblically and, and theologically. And these are the kinds of things that we need to be preparing ourselves for. So on the one hand, we need to look at, you know, what has happened, be honest about what has happened. Um, and, 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 and there needs to be accountability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, we need to make sure that whatever responses um, come next, that they come out of a theological framework and not just a knee-jerk reaction. And then thirdly, we need to also be looking ahead at things uh, that will be coming our way in the not-too-distant future and deciding how it is that we're going to respond. Yeah, that's well put. And what it does is it casts us right back onto first principles. What does the Bible say? And I think what, what I've begun to recognize is, okay, you've got people who believe the Bible and errant is all, and they've miserably failed in dealing with this issue of sex abuse. They just haven't done well in, in many cases, not, not all, because I, you'll never convince me that most pastors, most churches in the SBC are uh, safe havens for sex abusers. Mm. I just don't, I, you know, there's no evidence of that. And yet that's kind of the narrative that's being uh, spun out of this. But on the one hand, you've got these conservative Bible believing folks who've not done well. Why? Well, because they hadn't been thinking jurisdictionally. They haven't been thinking in these spheres of authority we just outlined, and they've tried to usurp authority from the state that belongs only to the state, and it's, they've made a disaster. They've made a mess of things. But now you've got people over here, and they're looking at that saying, this is horrible. What you've done is horrible, and you're an inerrantist, and you're appealing to the Bible. You're saying you're using the Bible. What we need is we have the Bible, and we're going to care well for people, and what we need is our own kind of bureaucracy that tells us that we can handle this disregarding jurisdiction jurisdictional authority in the exact same way that the other side is doing as well. And my response, I was talking to a guy yesterday about this. My response is it's not that the Bible's been tried and followed and then demonstrated to be uh, unreliable. The Bible hasn't really been followed Mm -hmm. by inerrantists who say we believe it. And what we've got to do is admit it. We've got to humble ourselves and repent and say, Lord, we made a mess of this. Your word's true. Everything in the word's true. It's sufficient. We have just blown it. Mm-hmm. And God have mercy on us and help us to think better, to learn better, to be more humble in seeing what the scripture teaches about how we deal with sins in the church, crimes in the state. And if we could get that straight, uh, our churches would do what God's intended the church to do. And our magistrates would do what God intends the magistrates to do. And those who have been victimized by this horrible sin and crime of sex abuse would be cared well for better, far better than what we've seen thus far. Mm-hmm. Amen. 
Well, very good. Well, brother, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, talking about this. This isn't pleasant to talk about, and it's like walking through a minefield. You know, mm-hmm. you, you could misspeak in one little way, and that can word can be used against you to hang you as uh, proposing something that you've never in your mind, or you can avoid saying things that, that may be in a different context. Of course, you would elaborate on They say, well, you didn't say this, and mm-hmm. because you didn't, you don't really love or care about people, and that's not true. As Christians, we've got to do better than that. The world has its agenda. The world wants to drive the church. The world wants to infiltrate the church. But we have a Savior. The Lord Jesus is the head of his church. He's given us his word. And in that word, we have everything we need to show us how to live, not in isolation from the world, but in the world with all the good gifts he's given us in the world, including civil magistrates. Well, yeah, and I will say this as well, that the the way our sending church um, handled this was not just a testimony that we need to be thinking about in terms of, you know, following, you know, what they've done, but it was also a testimony within the broader community. For example, within the legal community, Mm. uh, it was a testimony because of the way that, you know, things were, were responding to and because of the way that this victim and this family were cared for and because of the way that they were advocated for. Mm. I mean, it was a testimony in, in the, the broader community as well. So, you know, God took what was a very, very ugly, very difficult, very painful situation um, and turned it into something that demonstrated how the body of Christ uh, can respond and how the gospel uh, can bring healing in the midst of devastating circumstances. Amen. And that provides a platform for the gospel going out, demonstrating its power and its truth. Well, Vody, thank you for joining us today, brother. I look forward to seeing you a few days out in California. And uh, that'll be yeah, a, right around the corner. I know, man. I know. It'll be interesting to see what God does. But uh, grateful for you and your uh, work your ministry over there at ACU in Zambia and we'll put links up uh, with the notes of this program so people that want to get in contact with you and find out more about that ministry and work can do so well thank you for joining us on the sword and the trial today we look forward to having another conversation in the near future